<laughs> there goes Marky in that place. Guess I'll look it back up with y'all when I get there. Lord, would you uh, just remove any spirit of pride from this place? Um, I just want to agree with the song earlier, Lord, that we ask again for the fear of your name. Would you keep filling this place with it? Would you keep um, taking us deeper into it? We know it's the place of safety and truth. Let's go to Acts 9 to start. starting at the beginning of Acts 9. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And um, I always read this right as the beginning of Saul's story because this is like where we it starts being relayed to us. But uh, I just want to offer to you that this is in the middle of things for Saul and Jesus in Saul's story right here. This is not the beginning of his story. Um, and, we, and I can see that clearly because of the way Jesus talks to him. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. That means, um, so these are, right, these are the sharp tools used to get an ox to go where you want it to go. And you press it up against the ox, it feels a little bit of a poke and moves away from it, unless it's really stubborn, and then it kind of pushes against it and kicks against it and actually causes itself more pain in the process. And Jesus is saying, for some time now, Saul, I've been trying to steer you, and you're resisting so hard. You're causing all of this pain. And the compassion of Jesus at that moment, too, like, you know, he says, you're persecuting me because you're killing, you're harming my body. You're, you're coming against my body. But at the same time, he's like, I see all of the pain you're causing yourself in the resisting of my spirit trying to get you into truth, into light and love. Um, not necessarily like where we would go, right, with somebody who's set against the church and persecuting that would be like, man, they are suffering because the Holy Spirit is working on them, but they're still persisting in this violence. That's not, not the first place my heart would go. Um, but Yeshua is able to feel you're making my body suffer, and you're suffering because you are fighting so hard 
Um, so I just want, I want to talk today, the Lord's been talking to me a lot about yieldedness and our wills and how he wants to lead us um, and how we are to be led. So that's starting here in that resistance. Um, feel the Spirit has just sort of arrested me recently about where my will is still set and not yielded, where I am pushing up against the goads that he's using as a gentle shepherd. Because the goads, you know, it's not like jab that thing, get it to move. Like the, the husbandman um, is gently trying to get the, the ox to go in the line it needs to go. It's only when the ox rebels that it feels that stab. Um, yeah, okay. Um, let's go to Romans 1. It's kind of lovely to read about Saul, also Paul, and then read him writing by the Spirit later. Romans 1, 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do these things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Um... This passage is definitely used by the church to um, condemn this whole chapter, actually, very specifically um, at times. And yet, Paul writing this, how he must have written it in um, Thanksgiving and gratitude, because, like, we can easily see um, several things on this list that he's writing out that are his testimony, right? He was a murderer, evil-minded, unmerciful for a while before he yielded to the Lord. Um, And I want to basically highlight at the beginning of this, God gave them over to a debased mind. This is not a, like, God is making people wicked, right? But there is a release of people into wickedness if they persist in it. If they do not surrender to the goading of the Spirit, saying, you know, this is not right, this is not truth, there is a way that's better, Um, there is a way of mercy, that eventually God does yield to people. He yields to us 
if we will persist in a way long enough, he does say, all right, I'm giving you over to the thing that you have chosen time and again, resisting against my leading of you with that uh, shepherd's rod. And how much must have Saul written this thinking, hallelujah, that I, I did not reach the point where the Lord said, you have been resisting the goad so long, I will just give you over to it. That he gave him that moment on the road with the bright light and said, I'm trying to lead you and you're resisting. And Saul was graced with the ability to go, Lord, what do you want me to do? Like, this is the first time, right? Up until this point, Jesus says, you've been pushing, you've been pushing against those where I'm trying to lead you. And then he got a moment where he was like, okay, tell me what to do. I'm going to follow. You're, you're trying to get me to go somewhere. Where is that? And set off on a whole path. Exodus, um, you don't have to go to these because I'm going to jump. But I want to point out a couple of instances where the Lord um, really clearly says, all right, if this is what you really want to a man. Um, There are, across the plagues um, that were brought upon Egypt, there are nine hardenings of the heart that are listed. Um, Exodus 8.15, basically Pharaoh sees the flies taken away. Moses prays, they're gone. Um, And he sees that there was relief and he hardens his heart and does not heed as the Lord said he would. Uh, Exodus 8.32, after the frogs, Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Exodus 9.34, Pharaoh saw the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased. He sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, and he and his servants. So there's a hardening that Pharaoh is doing himself every time the pressure releases a little bit. He hardens his own heart. But Exodus 8.32, sorry, I already said that. Exodus 9.12, after the boils, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And again in Exodus 10.1, before the locusts. In 10.20, after the locusts. 10.27, after darkness. 11.10, before the death of the firstborn. And in 14.8, after Israel leaves, it says, the Lord hardened his heart. And it starts with Pharaoh hardening his own heart. And there is a point where the Lord, he knew it was going to happen. He told Moses, this is going to be hard, you know. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden his heart. Um, But there is a point where the Lord's like, this is what you want. I will give you more of it along the way. Um, Speaking of the fear of the Lord. Let's go to Numbers 22. Another famous. (laughs) A man getting what? He wants actually causing the Lord to relent to a man's will, which is so 
wild, right? Like when we think about it, our creator who put breath in our lungs, gave us our heartbeats, named us, keeps the entire universe spinning at his will, that he relents to men. Numbers 22.7, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight, and I'll bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, look, a people's come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. But they're like, you know, they go back, they report. Eh, he said, no, he's not going to curse them. Um, and then the answer is like, well, go back. You know, ask him again. Offer him the money again. Uh, so skipping down to 18. Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. So, you know, he reports truthfully. The Lord said, no. And you know what? You could give me all of the money. I can't do what the Lord says not to do. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said, If the men come to call you, go, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. Um, it, you know, he's, he, it sounds so good, right? I'm not going to do anything the Lord says not to do no matter how much money you give me. And they're like, well, you know, here's a little money, please. And he's like, let me go check on God again. Let me go ask him again. You know, he already gave me a clear answer. But let me go find out. And the Lord relents. And it's like, okay, go ahead and go with them. I'm still not going to let you curse my people. But I'm going to let you go down a road that you really want to go down after some money that you are pretending. You're like, no. You know, this, it's more important to follow the Lord, but you do desire it. I see the desire in you. Uh, let's go to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 14. The disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And um, we've been getting words about wine being poured out. Stephanie's been delivering. Um, and about new seasons. Several prophecies have come forth about entering into a new season right now. And um, I tend to read this section as a, you know, tradition, clinging to tradition. But deeper underneath there is really clinging to our will, 
and what not and being unyielded is well this is what i know to do and i'm going to hang on to it um king saul i'm not going to read it but in first samuel 13 is where you would go to read it what is it that king saul you know like the final thing that lost him his rulership being king was i'm going to get the lord's blessing on the troops in, before our battle, right? Not a bad thing at all. Totally a, this is what we need. The Lord to bless the troops and talk to us before we go into battle. But it's not happening. I'm going to make it happen. He didn't lose it out of some like ungodly desire for something bad, right? Something wicked. It was actually after something godly, but completely unyielded to the Lord. Just the fact that he was trying to go after something that was right in the Lord through his own will, instead of the way the Lord, through the prophet, had said it should be done. And it was enough for the Lord to say, you cannot be king of my people, because I need a king who's submitted. I need a king who's yielded to me and my spirit. And I want to just offer that this idea of a wineskin, and um, Steph was singing it earlier too, this idea of a wineskin, you know, what is it really picturing? It's picturing something that is holding on to its shape when the wine is trying to change its shape. And if I could offer that as a picture of our wills, of the things that we still have where we're like, this is what I'm going after. This is what I'm desiring. If we hold on to those things in our own, like, I'm going to lay hold of it. I'm going to persevere toward that thing rather than yielding to the Lord and letting him, if they are good things from him, provide them, make them happen. Then we're doing the same thing that Saul's doing. In, with a lot of good dressing, with a lot of good you know, Bible words, walking out our own will, thinking the Lord's going to bless it. Genesis 32. So the Lord's been talking to this to me about this because there are several things, even words from him, that I am carrying. Um, but he's revealing that my heart is so set on them that um, I am not actually yielded. They're the things that cause me to go, why has this not happened yet? Why is this still happening? Why has this not been changed yet um, shows me that it's still it's still my own idea that I'm gonna like somehow get there because if it's if I'm trusting in him completely I know I'm confident right I'm confident it's gonna happen in the time he decides it's happen it happens whether it's removal of a thing or giving of a thing uh, Genesis 32 22. 
this is um, Jacob. Uh, Rose that night took his wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, crossed over the ford at Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Um, I just want to remind us, point out, just that Jacob has a will here, and his idea, like, it's opportunity, right? He sees opportunity in this moment of, like, I see God. I see the angel of the Lord. I'm going to get a blessing, right? Give me something here. And he does get blessed, and he gets changed. He gets a um, infirmity in his thigh joint and a new name in that place. Um, So I feel like the Lord is reminding us uh, that that actually is the point of this place, of the prayer room. And when trouble comes, there's a test in the house of prayer because there's a lot of power in the house of prayer because we are before the throne of the Almighty God and he hears. He totally bends his ear to this place every time we come before him to talk to him. There's a test to either use that accent and that pressure to, in the pressure to be like, Lord, fix the pressure, change the things, or to be used this place of power to go, Lord, let me be yielded to you. Let me change more. That's, right? That's why we pray primarily, why we pray for the persecuted church and for Israel, um, for widows and orphans, is not because God needs us to agree with him about those things to help those people. It's so that as we come before him and agree with him about all of the people who have all of the needs, we're changed to be more like him, that we get his heart for those people, that we're changed into merciful, loving, generous um, people like he is in touching them in prayer with him. I think you can see if you're watching any particular crisis in the earth right now and the church associated with that crisis, you can see there's an impulse to be like, we got to pray to fix this thing, to move this thing. And then there are those who are like, wait a minute. We need to respond to this thing by letting it change us in the prayer room. Uh, Let's go to Matthew 26. I always think partway through, this is going to be a short message. And then I say it, and then I go on for a really long time afterwards. 
Matthew 26, 38. We've talked about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot. Um, 26, 38, he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? And this actually came out as well today. Um, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And uh, I bring this up just because this is specifically what the Lord um, arrested me on a little while ago, uh, is wanting to get out of the things that are hard, of and not even, you know, in a way that's like, I'm actively working on it. But that I keep coming to him and going, how much longer is this going to last before I'm done with it, Lord? Like, when do I get to move on from this thing that is hard? Even while, when I have been with the Lord and the Spirit is moving on me. And what do you call it, Steph? Squishy or... Liquid, yeah, she goes, you're, you're liquid right now. Because I'm like all, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have as many inhibitions, like, constraining me when, when I've been with the Lord for a while. Uh, and he's really poured out on me. Um, when I'm liquid, in those times I can go, look at the goodness of the things that you've given me in this struggle. Look at, you know, I asked you for a cross and I got a little bit of one. Lord, I, I can see that you're changing me. You know, in, that mom, in those moments where I just have clarity by the Spirit, even though I bless that thing, there's all these times where I'm like, this is so heavy, Lord. How much longer has it got to go on? Can it be done yet? And he said, you know, if you keep asking me that eventually, I'll be like, yeah, it can be done. I'll let you out. But do you really want to get out before it's complete in you, before it's done all of its work, before I've gotten everything out of it that I wanted, that I led you into it in the first place? And thank you that our Lord was like, is there any other way to do this? But nevertheless, I yield if this is the way. Let's do it, Father. Let's go to Mark uh, 15, because we've talked about that, um, Matthew, quite a bit, that section. And he, um, he highlighted this for me in prayer recently, connected to these things. Mark 15, 29. Our Lord is on the cross, and those who passed by him blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. 
Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe even those who were crucified with him, reviled him. Could he have come down from the cross? He says, you know, I can command a legion of angels. Um, And the Lord said to me, the people who crucify you are dangerous. But you and your flesh think it's the crucifixion process that is the dangerous. You want to go, why are they hurting me? Why are they reviling me? Why are they, you know, stabbing in when they see an opening? And those are not the dangerous parts. The dangerous parts is that they are inviting you to step out of it, to just bail on the whole thing. That's the dangerous thing, that they're always, all of that pressure, like, The devil didn't need to kill Jesus. He needed, what he really wanted was for Jesus to like give over and step out of the will of the Father. That would have been the devil's victory, right? That we saw that in the, we see that in the temptation, in the story of the temptation. Just step out of the will of the Father. And that's the real danger in the middle of when you do start to get a little bit of a cross. is the temptation is to go, you know what? I don't really need this. This isn't really doing anything for me. I'm not getting anything out of it. I can just step right out of it, go find some people who like me, maybe have some nice surface relationships where nobody actually messes with anybody else, nothing's at stake. That's the real danger. And the real danger is that our Lord does relent if we persist in asking for things. If I persist in asking for, like, what a, what a shame would it be to spend years going, Lord, I want to take up my cross. And then, Lord, let me out of this thing. And he says, okay. You got a little bit, but you can be done now. It'd be better not to have the little bit and then pale. Um, John 3. Okay, it is going to be short. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Um, This is what the Spirit in me wants. This kind of yieldedness and I'm finding that there are parts of me that are still so much my will. Um, This is why Prophecy and moving, hearing and obeying by prophecy has been so emphasized in this house is because the goal is in the prayer room not to change cities, 
it's to be yielded, which paradoxically yielded people change cities, right? But the goal, the goal is not to pray enough that this neighborhood changes, to pray enough that this city changes, that the city government changes, that, you know, our state changes. The goal is to become so submitted in prayer that the Lord can do whatever he wants through us, with us. Uh, John 21 Verse 18, Jesus is speaking to Peter and says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Thus he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said, follow me. Um, This is also that same, right, Saul who was pushing up against those goads to the point of, like, persecuting the church and then yielded and then over and over in his writings calls himself a slave. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to Yeshua. I'm a slave. I've made myself a slave to everybody. Like, I see them and I'm like, I'm serving you in love. Maturity in Christ is the point where we really can say we've given up our will to the point that we are slaves to the Spirit, slaves to righteousness. Like in the fullness of that word, it's, a, it's such an ugly word. And we, you know, church, the church in over time has tried to soften it, tried to explain what he really meant. But by the witness of his life, it is a complete giving over of, I have put to death my will. So I f- the Lord was, the Lord is, giving me another invitation. Showing me that after years of praying about yielding and trying to yield, Um, that there's another, a renewal of invitation to see the places where I I am not at all yielded. See the places where even in the prayer room, in his house, I have things that I am like still pushing by my will toward rather than letting him bring them to pass, letting him lead me by his voice hour by hour. response team want to come up whoever that may be and the ways in which I um, deceive myself into thinking that I am just trying to get a hold of the Lord But really what I'm doing is I'm trying to grab onto some things that my flesh likes, wants, in a way that looks godly, like Saul. I'm just trying to sacrifice so that we can get a blessing on the troops and hear the word of the Lord. 
Um, so just Matthew 6, just yesterday I was kind of meditating on um, the Lord's Prayer. It's funny, as like we, we sort of think of it as, or I think of it, I don't know, as this, uh, you know, the sort of Christianity 101, it's the thing we, we teach kids, you know, we repeat it at times. Um, but just that Yeshua shared with us, you know, this is, this is how you pray. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, it's, it's all starts with that, Lord. Not my will, but yours be done. So, Father, um, I just thank you that you, you take us forward and we, um, we respond to your invitation, but we respond immature, and then you show us how we respond immaturely and invite us to a new level of immaturity by renewing the invitation. And I, Lord, would you pour out just a softness, a liquidness in this place, in the... Uh, house of prayer, a yieldedness. Lord, let, um, just let the desire of our hearts, whenever we come in those doors, be yieldedness unto you. Lord, I know you're saying right around the corner, um, you are about to do something big and and it will be great and terrible. That your spirit is poured out and there is grace and testing in it. Lord, I want, um, would you just would you give us the grace to uh, respond not exerting control over it. Not trying to get, decide how to get through, get around. But in, um, instead, letting you have your way in it. Just next month, whatever it is that you're doing next month, Lord, that you've warned us about, that you're warning the church and other places about. I want my response to be how much can I yield to you in this?